Oh, don't fade it yet. Don't fade it yet. Yeah, one more time. That's great. All right, that's enough. All right, good. Thanks. Music pumps me up. Anyone else? I love that. I love in that last song when it sings, Sing like never before. Right? We ought to be singing like never. I mean, you got to be singing it. You can't just be singing, Sing like never before. You sing louder than that in the shower, right? I mean, in your car. I mean, a song that lets us sing like never before, we ought to sing it like never before. God is good, and we are in his church. We are in his place. We're in a place to worship him, and I'm so glad you are here today. We are uh, in this series called Training Camp. Now, Training Camp, football-wise, is over, right? What did they do this week? Anyone know what the professionals teams did? The cuts, yeah. And today, we've got to make our cuts. So I hope your name is not on this list. <laughs> what, if, what if we did that? What if you had, like, we had a roster here at one community church, 150 people, that's it. You got you got, it's an exclusive club. You can only get in if you, no. This is, uh, the church is open for all, but we are talking about training camp. And what we're saying is, look, we have a season to get ready for. We are ready for what God has to do through one community church in the season of ministry that is coming up here that begins now after Labor Day camp and really runs just about through Christmas. And we want to be ready for what God needs to do and wants to do among us. And so we talked about uh, what it takes to be a team player, what it takes to be a part of one community church. And I gave you four words that I began the series with that I really wanted to say these are the keys to, I think, having the kind of season that we want to have here at once. So let's review. No cheats, no cheats. Okay, don't look at your worship folder. Word number one, what was it? All right, say it together. One, two, three. And those of you who go, who said, I didn't know what that word was, let's say it again. Passion. One, two, three. Passion, right? We want to sing like never before, right? That's passion. That's bringing everything we have, the best of our abilities, saying we have a great cause in the church. It is to reach people. It is to uh, share the good news of Christ. Let's be passionate followers of Christ on his behalf. What was the second, what was the second word? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's going to cost us something. It costs us something, but we get everything. And that's the beauty of following Christ, is it costs us something. We have to lay down our lives to follow Christ, but it costs Christ more. He laid down his life, and so we say, God, I surrender, I lay me down. Right? We sang that this morning. I lay it down, I surrender to you, and God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sacrifice of my time. It's going gonna to cost me a sacrifice of my resources and my energy, but, but it's worth it. And I want to give whatever I can, as much as I can, to the cause of Christ. That's sacrifice. Then the next one, when the pressure is on, when you feel like throwing in the towel, you need to remember this word. Resolve. It's not only a cleaning agent. Isn't it resolve? Is it a, yeah, all right. Resolve, right? We want, to, we want to stick through. We want to fight the good fight. We want to battle whatever it takes. And we want to be faithful in the long term. And then the last word was fun. We want to have a good time being together on mission, accomplishing what Jesus has called us to do. And so we talked about that. Then we talked about the special gifts that God has given each one of us uh, to serve. And we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks. And do you have that little uh, piece of paper, that insert? Many of you have turned that in already. Thank you for those that have done that. We would love to see this from every person at one. What are your interests, your skills, your abilities? And then what team might you be a part of? And we talked about this last week of serving on one of our five teams, the different systems that work together to make one community church happen. And we want to follow up with you. And again, some of you, be patient. We're going to get to you. We want to follow up and get you on the teams and and hear about your interest because we want to have a tremendous season at one. And what that looks like is people coming to Christ. It means that our church is full, that we're fully staffed in the volunteer areas, that our children's ministry is fully staffed, that our youth ministry is functioning, our hosts and our small groups, our tech team. We still need folks that are willing to sign up to say, hey, I want to be part of setting up or tearing down. You can count me in. If you guys have a truck or a trailer that you can, or a truck that you can pull a trailer with, let us know and say that's one way that I can serve. Um, kids ministry, so many different ways. Thank you and continue to do that today, please, and, and let us know um, so that we can be prepared here for what's happening now after, after Labor Day. Now today we, we, uh, we wrap up this series. And, and sometimes at training camp, I've heard of uh, training camps where they'll bring in like a former player or maybe a, a, a player that's retiring. Right, And he comes in, he says, you know, I used to play for this team or when I was in my prime here in the season, you know, or before I got traded or whatever, you know, they come and they, they give that they give that rah-rah-ree speech and, and they've embodied it, they've lived it, and they pass it on. Today, we have that privilege with Chris. Chris is going to be our veteran 
are retiring. I don't know if he's retiring. He's not really retiring, but I think he got drafted. <laughs> he got drafted into a different ministry. And, he's, um, and if you're here for the first time or newer, uh, Chris Squaltney has been our worship leader here at One um, up until the end of May, June, June, end of June. And uh, Chris moved out here with Shannon and I to start the church. We moved from Indiana. We've known each other for many years. And so we spent many years together just, uh, you know, leading in this church and dreaming and praying and all the things that go into just, just this dream together. And so uh, we've been serving faithfully side by side. Ashley came along uh, the process here at, at One and for the last several years has been very involved. She was playing here earlier. And and so it's just been a joy. And um, recently in this past year, Chris's heart has really been moved towards the ministry. And I'm sure he'll maybe tell you a little bit more about that to reach the gaming community. And and uh, and has offered a position with a an organization called GameChurch.com in Ventura, California. And so he'll be starting in that capacity uh, as soon as they get out there this coming week. And so he'll be leaving, and uh, it's with heavy hearts that we, we bid them farewell. And so I, I wanted to have Chris uh, have one more chance just to, to share with us what's on his heart and uh, and maybe even lead us in a song or something later. We'll see. So, um, Chris, come on up and share with us. Please welcome Chris as he speaks today. Oh, this is weird. You know, I, you guys actually do sing out there. I actually heard it. That was good. You know, up here I gave you a hard time all the time, but I appreciate you singing. That was nice. I actually just stopped for a moment and just kind of listened. It was, uh, it was pretty good. I think Mark's a little too hard on you. But, uh, that's probably typically going to be the case. So, um, yeah, this is definitely weird. I'm going to do my best. Uh, I've been sick for the past few days, so just have to bear with me with my voice. Um, I do kind of want to give you guys just a little backstory. I know some of you probably have no idea who I am, and um, you can just tune out for the next 75 minutes. Um, and then the rest of you may have heard this before, maybe, maybe not. And so as Mark said, I moved out here from Indiana. I, I grew up 20 years in Indiana. I was there for the first 20 years of my life. and um, You know, didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, great parents. I love my parents to death, but I uh, just wasn't raised in that, in that belief or that knowledge and, of Jesus, and really, my my knowledge of church was the Catholic Church, and stand up, sit down, kneel, stand up, sit down, kneel, sprinkle some water, and um, you're good to go. So, when I was about I don't know 14 or 15, um, somebody invited me to to a youth group, and that's where I I really discovered Jesus, and I met I met the real Jesus, and decided that you know my life, the way I was going, was just really had no direction, and I, I wanted something more. So I gave my life to Christ. I got baptized. I ended up in Mark's youth group, which I'm sure he was ecstatic about because I was kind of a dirtbag at the time. Um, and I was kind of not nice at the time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so being there, started to get really heavily involved. Uh, you know, my leadership qualities and traits started to surface, and Mark really cultivated that in me over several years. Um, and as far as music, you know, I wasn't musical at the time. I mean, I sang in the shower or sang when I mowed the yard. Um, but, you know, I didn't play any instruments really. And we were on a trip with the youth group. And the guy that was leading worship at the time came up to me with uh, this set of bongos. You guys know what bongos are, those little round, silly-looking drums that nobody really plays. And uh, he handed them to me. He's like, hey, will you play these while we do some worship around the campfire? I was like, Okay. And so I did that. I don't think anybody heard me, which is probably a good thing. And that's kind of how it got started from there. You know, on Wednesday nights in youth, I played the congas and the bongos. So the congas are like the tall, big ones, and then the bongos. Keep in mind, I have no idea what I'm doing. No clue. And I just wailed on those things. Like, I was seriously, and these guys can attest to that, like, I was pretty much a glorified, like, worship cheerleader. Like, I just stood on the stage and bounced around like an idiot. And I don't even think they had me turned on in the speakers. So, uh, yeah, that was how I got started. And uh, from there, you know, learned guitar, taught myself guitar, um, and just kind of, you know, worked, worked my way. And, and really, God just continued to work on me in that process. And I uh, started leading worship there. Again, super involved. I mean, I was at the church enough to be an intern. And um, once I went away to college, and this is most people's story, uh, I just kind of bailed. You know, I just, I didn't really know what I was doing anymore. I didn't know why I was still doing this. I kind of was just, the the relationship that I had with Jesus wasn't my own. 
It was just bits and pieces of other people that I picked. And I said, oh, I like what they do. I'm going to do that. I like what they do. I'm going to do that. That seems holy. I'm going to do that. And I had no real basis in my own life. And uh, when push came to shove, when you go off to college and you get to see all these wonderful things that happen at college, um, everything just went. And, yeah, I just bailed. I mean, I was there. Literally one day I was there, you know, 20, 30 hours a week. And the next day I disappeared. And uh, just cut off all connection with everybody. Didn't want to deal with it. Didn't want to hear the, you know, where you been? What's going on? I just like, shut it all out. Uh, fast forward a little bit, you know, went through a dark time. I didn't get into like super heavy, crazy stuff. I was pretty mild, but um, I was working at the Olive Garden at the time. And I started reading a book that really just got me inspired and um, in, encouraged to re-meet Jesus. Or maybe even more accurately, meet Jesus for the first time. And so as I'm reading through this book, uh, I hear through the grapevine from a friend that Mark and Shannon were moving out here to start a church. And I remember at the time, my heart felt like it just jumped out onto the floor because I had this flashback to uh, a conversation that Mark and I had in his office, uh, probably when I was 17 or 18. And we were just kind of talking, and the question came up, like, what would we do if nothing mattered, like if, if, if money didn't matter, if time didn't matter, if training didn't matter, we could wake up tomorrow and do it, what would we do? And I remember our answers being, we would start a church. And so now, you know, fast forward back to me working at the Olive Garden, I hear this friend tell me that, and I'm just like, I'm reeling, you know, because I'm back on my, I'm back on my path, you know, back on my path meeting Jesus and following him, and I hear this. And, um, you know, it's probably a few weeks pass by. It's about January, February of 06. And I'm working at the Olive Garden. And who walks in other than Mark and Shannon friends and their family? I haven't talked to them in probably a year. Whereas before, I mean, he was my mentor. They were, you know, some of my best friends and people I looked up to. And we're talking all the time. I hadn't spoken to them for a year. They walk in, and I run as fast as I can back to the kitchen. Like, I just got the heck out of there because I didn't want to face it. We don't want to face it. You know, I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to. I mean, here's God telling me, hate dummy. Here it is. And I got the heck out of there. But here's the funny thing about God. Uh, he doesn't give up. And they sat in my section. <laughs> yeah, so... Obviously, I have to go out there and face them. And uh, I go out there, and, and we start talking. I mean, we barely get through kind of the initial awkwardness of like, hey, how you been? Haven't seen you in a year. Glad you're not dead in a ditch. And, um, we had barely gotten through that when Mark, I don't know if he just accidentally said it or blurted it out, I and mean, maybe he still regrets it to this day. Um, and he said hey, we're moving to Arizona to start a church. Do you want to go? And I just about died because I hadn't stopped thinking about that since hearing about it, you know, whatever, a couple weeks prior. And obviously we had some things to work through. You know, he had to make sure that I wasn't still some flaky Jake that was going to just bail again. And, uh, you know, we worked through that stuff and really reconciled our relationship. And, you know, it's been awesome ever since. Um, so I you know, decided that I was going to move out here. And, you know, it's, it's quite the process to think about that kind of thing. When you build a life for 20 years, uh, your friends, my, all my family is there in Indiana. I mean, it, it, is a, it is a life that I had there. And when just deciding to uproot that, maybe some of you guys can relate with this about moving across the country. Uh, it's a big deal. A lot of fear sets in, a lot of doubt sets in, a lot of different things. And, um, you know, I just decided that I was going to do it. So, um, I'm gonna, I want to pause the story there. I'm going to tell you some other little snippets and things like that throughout uh, this morning, but I want to kind of pause there because there's, there's three main things that I'm going to talk about today, and maybe you're only going to resonate with one of them. Maybe you'll resonate with all three of them. Maybe you won't care about any of them. Um, but I want to tell you the three things that over the course of the seven years um, I think are my biggest takeaways, my biggest points of growth uh, through this time. And the first one of those things is to take a risk. Take a risk. I'm going to write that down for all you nerds out there that like to take notes. I'm going to write that down. So take, don't make fun of my handwriting. 
I'm an artist. Take a risk. You guys read that? All right, sounds good. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's three words you can remember. Take a risk. Um, I want to I want to read you some some statistics here. Uh, again, I'm reaching out to the nerds of the congregation. The vast majority of full-time working Americans, about 80 uh, percent, this is a, a poll done by USA Network. That's the TV channel. Uh, they were doing a reality show, and uh, they did this survey. Vast majority of full-time working Americans, 80 percent admit they're in jobs that do not reflect their true career passions. And if given a chance, would get the heck out if they could land their dream job. 80%. Anybody? Anybody resonate with that? You don't have to raise your hands. It's embarrassing. Just kidding. Um, 80%. I mean, that, that is huge. That is a huge majority. Huge majority. There's another stat on here that I thought was interesting. Um, it said, out of those fortunate to have landed their dream gig, only 2 in 10 started off in that job. 20% started in their dream job, whatever that may be. I think those stats tell us a whole heck of a lot of the position that we're in, of this American dream. You know, um, I think this, the, the American dream seems to eliminate risk. We want to eliminate risk and factor our lives down to the lowest common denominator of comfort. Let me say that again. We want to eliminate risk. We want to factor our lives to the least common denominator of comfort. Guilty. Anybody? Guilty. And you see, here's why I think I can say the word guilty. Why I think that's a problem? Because I don't think Jesus was interested in comfort. I don't think that that was Jesus' dream was comfort. I mean, all you have to do is read a verse. I mean, read a chapter. Read a snippet of Jesus' life here on earth. And it was risk after risk after risk. It's crazy to think of how obsessed I've become and we've become with comfort. Um, you know, I, I think another word that, that comes with comfort, why I think it's a problem, another C word that comes, you, can you think of another C word that comes with comfort typically? Complacency. Thank you, my wife. <coughs> Sorry. Complacency. I think that's why it's a problem, because we just, this way it is. How many of you guys say, it is what it is? I hate that saying. And I don't know how many times I say it myself. It is what it is. Guess what? It's not. It's not. Because if it is what it is, then there'd be no point for Jesus. There'd be no point for God. What's the way we could say it? It isn't what it is. It isn't what it is. I don't know. You'll figure it out. Um, I want to I turn in your Bibles. If you guys get one of these Bibles around you, there should be Bibles all around there. If you have your own, if you've got it on your smartphone, your tablet, whatever, go ahead and pull out um, some form of the Bible. And uh, what I want to say, you know, Mark, I think Mark said this last week, and I just thought it was so cool. Um, and I think it's a great reminder that this is, this, is our, this is our guide. You know, this isn't, this isn't a reference, like a, a supplemental type of thing for our life. This, this is our guide. You know, this is what we have here on earth to tell us the life of Jesus, to tell us the story, this overarching story that we are involved in as it relates to eternity. This is what we have. We have nothing else but this. Right? And people can talk. People can write other books. They can do those things. But at the end of the day, this is what we got. And this has to be authoritative. Every bit of it. You know, we don't get to do the Thomas Jefferson thing and take out the things we don't like and then keep the rest. So this is what we got. I want you guys to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 14. <coughs> Sorry if I cough. I'm sick. Chapter 14. This is going to be on page 742 in these Bibles here. Matthew chapter 14. Now the first little bit of this we're going to kind of skip through. Um, basically, kind of uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000. You know, we've heard some of us maybe heard that story where there's this great crowd gathering. I mean, Jesus just attracted crowds wherever he went and they were super hungry. Jesus did this amazing miracle. Um, 
and fed 5,000 people with pretty much nothing. And so then he jumps, uh, or he actually goes away to pray, and the disciples, he tells them to get in the boat and head across, and he'll join them later. Which I would think, like, Jesus, that's a problem, because there's only one boat. How, how, what? But it's Jesus, so he does what he wants. We're going to start in uh, verse 22, and, um, and we're going to read through, through a little bit. So I'll, I'll read, and you follow along. Immediately after this, um, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I am here. Don't be afraid. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on water. All right, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. You don't have much faith. Jesus said, why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. This is my experience with risk. This story, this is my experience with risk. Maybe it's not everybody's experience, but it's definitely my experience. And I think it happens in steps. And I think the first step that happens is fear. Fear. You guys afraid of anything? You got any like weird phobias? We have this friend. Um, he actually played drums a couple weeks ago. He has this weird thing about stickers. He just freaks out about stickers. Like if there's stickers on something, or he's got to like peel a sticker, he freaks out. He's afraid of it. Weird. But I think fear we're talking about is a little more serious than that. Come to think of it, I don't even know why I brought that up. Um, so first step, I was scared out of my mind. If we think about my story about moving here, I mean, I was I was terrified. You know, I mean, the disciples in another translation it says, it's a ghost as Jesus is walking. You know, I think another way of saying that is it's just my imagination. Like, my, I'm freaking out right now. And that, what? You know, there's often times when I'm sitting and I'm, I'm praying or I'm thinking about things or I'm thinking about this risk to take or, or whatever, and I feel like maybe it's just my mind playing tricks on me. You know, when maybe it's the Holy Spirit actually pulling at me to do something talk to that person, to say something to this guy, to, to you know, foster that relationship or whatever it may be. Um, you know, I, I think fear can dictate this process because it, it can immediately tell us, you're crazy, go to bed, get off the toilet, get out of the shower. That's not when you guys do your thinking. That's when I do mine. <laughs> whatever. Um, so, the the thing is, like, it is scarier. It is, it is one of the scariest things to take a risk like that. To, to take that type of risk is, is scary because unknowns are hard. Did you know that? Not knowing things is hard. And do you know why it's hard? Because we're not in control. I think that's the point. Because you see, if we've said Jesus... I'm following you. Jesus is now in control, apparently. And yet, these unknowns we cannot deal with because we're not in control. You know, I think that the, this 80% we were talking about before with your stats, I think pretty much that 80% stays camped out on this step. Fear. They never get past it. And probably the one reason of that is money. Got to make enough money. We've got to put food on the table. We've got to pay for the bills that we've got. We've got to take care of this credit that we worked up. We've got to pay the car payments. We've got to do all that stuff. And yeah, we do. A lot of us stay camped out on this fear, and we never make it to the next step, which is reassurance. You know, in that, uh, that next verse, what was it? Verse 27. Uh, Jesus, He says, it's all right. I am here. Don't be afraid. 
That's that reassurance. And it comes. You know? It, it comes. But what I've found is that that step, this reassurance step, there's a next step after that, but they're kind of, kind of intertwined. Because that next step is doubt. You know, doubt is different than fear. Because I think doubt is like, okay, I'm buying into this, but now I'm kind of doubting. Whereas fear, I think we just never, we don't even entertain that. But see, this reassurance and doubt thing, they kind of work in tandem. Because when, when Jesus comes and he says, it's alright, I'm here, don't be afraid, he's reassuring those doubts that we have about this thing that we've decided to do. Um, <coughs> sorry. You know, it's, the reassurance thing can happen in a lot of different ways. You know, for me, it was through conversations, through prayer, um, through just talking to people. Because sometimes you don't know. Maybe your doubts are well-founded. Maybe you need to get the heck out of there. Um, but maybe not. You know, when me and Ashley were deciding to do this California thing, the thing that tipped us over the edge, and you can absolutely place all the blame on these people, was Tim and Edith Gunther. It is their fault that we're moving to California. It is their fault. But seriously, you have to seek out old people. Because, because, listen, listen, we write off old people. I do this. We write off old people all the time. We think they're old. What do they know? They know a lot. A whole lot. Yeah. That's right. So Tim and Edith Gunther, I mean, they're just an example, but you've got to talk to people. You've got to engage in this process. If you're taking a risk, you've got to let people know about it. You've got to get it out there. You've got to talk to people. And people that are following Jesus, your friends, your family, your church, people like Tim and Edith Gunther, we've got so many amazing old people here to talk to you. So find them. I'm sure they literally have nothing else to do. So, all right. That's my uh, tangent on old people. I love old people. You know, this, this thing with doubt, the way that I've experienced, I hear a lot of people um, will talk about their, their call or their, they're going out to do something. They just have this extreme call in their life from God and they have all this affirmation, and all these things that they just know it's what they're supposed to do and they've not even done anything yet. And I'm like, must be nice. Because when I moved out here, if you'd asked me the day that I left, if I felt like I was called to come out here, I'd have been like, I don't know. I have no idea. Because what my experience is, and what I think Peter's experience is right here, is that we receive this proof of our faith after we take a step. If you're just going to sit and wait for God to strike you with a lightning bolt and tell you that this is the thing you're supposed to do, I'm afraid you're going to be waiting with the 80% of those other people forever. Maybe not. Maybe you'll have that great burning bush moment and I envy you. But for me, that has never been the case. That wasn't the case back then when I moved here. That's not the case with this thing that we're moving now. It wasn't until I took a step that I started to receive affirmation and started to see this pathway laid out before me by God. Same thing with Peter. I mean, you see here, what did Peter have to do? He didn't like get a, a glimpse of what it would be like to walk on the water. He didn't get some kind of proof. I mean, he had to get out of the boat. What do you think would happen if you just went out on, you know, Saguaro Lake up here and stepped out of the boat? You just go, bloop. But Peter did it. He stepped out and boom, there he was on the water. Next step, best decision of my life. We're like, yes, I'm walking on water. Can you imagine that? That'd be awesome. I think that would be awesome. Apparently you guys don't. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> you know, I moved out here and everything was just working. Everything was great. Everything was awesome. Best decision. And I know what I did and maybe what some of us do. We start attributing it to ourselves. I am so great. I made the best decision ever. And I had no help along the way. Uh -uh. You see, we have to remember how we got there. And we have to constantly be thinking about these steps that were taken to get us there. And the way that God continued to lay that path out before us.
and share it with others. Um, <coughs> I don't know if I'm going to get to three things. We might just hit one thing today. How's that? Take a risk. That's a pretty good one. Um, you know, it's not too soon after this kind of euphoric sense that we hit the favorite step, which is failure. We love failure. You know, Peter sank, freaked out, and he sank. Um, you know, failure comes in a lot of different ways, and I think the problem with failure and the way that we view failure is that we see failure as the end. Oh, it's done. I failed. Move on to the next different thing. I don't think that's always the case. I think sometimes that is the case. I think sometimes failure is God's way of saying, nope, move on. But I think a lot of times, and maybe more times, failure is, I think of this word resolve. I was thinking about this the very first week Mark used that word resolve. It occurred to me that that word is like re-solve. Re-solve. If you want to solve something, you're trying to fix that or get through that or, or whatever. And resolve gives us a sense of it didn't work the first time. Maybe it didn't work the first ten times. We have to re-solve this thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I think sometimes we have to understand that that's what failure is. And again, the only way that you can discern whether you need to move on or you need to stick with this thing is discernment. And you get that through being in the Bible. You get that through being in prayer. You get that by talking to old people. Guys, if you remember anything today, talk to somebody old. But seriously, you have to be in conversation with those around you. They can be peers. They can be older. I'm obviously making a big deal of that, but that's the only way to discern these types of, <clears throat> these types of things. You know, the last step, the last step, and this is cool, is rescue. Rescue. This is the message of the Bible. Jesus. Instantly, Jesus reached out His hand and grabbed Him. Instantly, Jesus reached out His hand and grabbed Him. Rescue. We're going we're gonna to mess it up. We are going to mess it up. It's not if. When. You're going to mess it up. Because you're human. You're going to mess it up. Maybe somebody else is going to mess it up for you. It's going to get messed up. And Jesus, instantly Jesus, when, when Peter called out, cried out, because it was something Jesus called him to do, and he cried out, Jesus instantly reached down and grabbed him, but not without some loving course correction afterwards. What's he say? You don't have much faith. Why did you doubt me? <clears throat> you know, I think Jesus, He loves us enough to rescue us, but He doesn't want to leave us there. He loves us enough to push us onward. Course correct us. You know, as far as this risk thing is concerned, thank you. It's hard. It's hard. You know, comfort, and I don't want to say comfort is easy either, because, you know, those of us that if, if you're in a job that you just hate and you want to be somewhere else, I'm not saying that that's easy, but I think comfort is just, it's comfort. You know, it's just what we know. And risk is hard. Risk is always, I would say, is always going to be the harder choice. But I think it is typically always the right choice if we know and we're certain that that is what God is calling us to. Me and Ashley have been having a heck of a time, you know. I mean, yesterday we had a, a, a real long conversation yesterday morning about this move. You know, we're, we're leaving a lot behind. And we feel that. We, we're, not, we're not oblivious to that. And yet we have to rest in the fact and know that if we really feel, and we do, that God is calling us to this, that no matter what, He's going to rescue us. That He's going to be there with us. I mean, what did Jesus say at the very beginning? He said, it's alright, I'm here. I'm here. Don't be afraid, I'm here. And when you fall, I'm going to whisk you right out of there. I don't even know if I'm going to get to these other things, but we'll try. Um, take a risk. I mean, that's, that's all I can say to you. Take a risk. If you forget everything else, take a risk. You know what it is. You're thinking about it. You've been thinking about it for the past however long I've been talking. Take a risk. 
do what it takes to take that risk. It's going to be hard. Take a risk. There's a great book I would recommend to you. It's called Quitter. I only read about half. Um, <laughs> that was a good one. I Literally, though, I only read like half of it. Because that's all I needed to read. At that point, I'm like, all right, I know. I know what needs to be done. I would highly recommend it to you. Quitter. Um, that's a good one. So, uh, we're about one-fourth of the way through. You guys ready? The second thing I want to talk about, second thing, is um, serving is a privilege. Serving is a privilege. You ever, you ever use that line with your kids? It's a privilege to do that. And because you're acting up, you don't get to do that because it's a privilege. What does that mean? That means that it's not just this thing that you know is assumed or that is just whatever. Like It is a privilege. And the reason that I, that I think that is my personal experience, but also what, uh, what Paul tells us. And this is in Ephesians. If you want to turn there, great. Otherwise, I'm just going to read it. It's Ephesians 3, it's page 908. Uh, Paul says this, verse 7 and 8. He says, By God's special favor and mighty power, I have been given the wonderful privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I am the least deserving Christian there is, I was chosen for this special joy of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. This is Paul saying this. Do you know how much of the Bible Paul wrote? Okay? He's kind of a big deal. And we, I mean, we sometimes, to a fault, revere Paul and think of, man, he had a lot of great teachings. But here's a guy who got it. He understood that even him with his, his stature and his teachings and his experience and whatever did not deserve to do what he was doing. I don't deserve to be up here speaking in this way. Micah doesn't deserve to be here playing guitar and singing and leading worship. Those guys don't deserve to be back there messing with that stuff. I mean, you don't deserve it. It is a privilege. You know, I think oftentimes we talk about serving, you know, and we, and we use that word sacrifice, and I think there's definitely elements of that. But I think we sometimes focus too much on like, oh, I'm giving up, and I'm, there's so much, you know, wallowing in like, oh, I don't get to watch Duck Dynasty this week. Like, it is a privilege and an honor to serve. You get to serve. You get to serve. Change your language. You get to serve. You get to serve. Listen to this, all right? I get to watch people's drooling, babbling babies. That changes things. I get to unload a trailer and load it back up. I get to put signs on the street in this unholy heat. I get an amen, Henry. And Steve, Steve Rodriguez, he does that too, I think. Or some of these other ones. I get to meet new people and make them feel at home. I get to troubleshoot endless technical issues. This doesn't all just happen. I want you to say it. I get to serve. Can we say that together? We'll say it on three. One, two, three. I get to serve. But are you? I get to serve. It is a privilege. And I'm telling you, I could give you endless stories, endless stories of how I have experienced this privilege. I could give you a list of thousands of dollars of things that have just come my way and Ashley's way. This guitar that I play, that's like a $2,800 guitar given to me. Brand new, free, given to me. Now, we can hyper-spiritualize these things and say, well, you know, that's not necessarily because you're serving or because you're doing this stuff. I haven't been given a $2,800 guitar prior to that. Cars? I have, I'm, I can't even tell you how many free cars I've been given. Just given. Now, they're not, you know, 2013 Chevy Cruze or something, but they get me to where I need to go and they do what they're supposed to do. I have this crazy story about the drive out here. And we stopped in Albuquerque. And 
insane. I didn't even know this guy. We were staying at this stranger's house. They were working with the church there. And <clears throat> the morning before we were going to leave, and there was a kind of a creepy vibe about these guys because that, they seemed like they were involved in like a drug cartel. Like when we rolled up to their house, like it was like that drug cartel house with like the awning thing and the, you pull through. It was weird. And they weren't. I mean, thankfully, they love Jesus. But like the, the next morning when we were getting ready to leave, uh, he tells us to come by a shop. And I'm thinking, this is it. Like the hit's on. We're done. And so we drive over to this guy's shop. He calls us into his office, shuts the door behind us. Done. Dead. I mean, shuts the door, standing between us and the door. So I'm like looking for escape routes and ready to just be gone. We don't know this guy. I have no idea who this guy is. We just stayed at this house as we were driving out here. And we had some connection loosely, but didn't really know him. And so he reaches into his pockets. Are you kidding me? Reaches into his pockets. I'm like, he's got two pistols, one for each of us. Reaches into his pockets, pulls out his hands, opens them, two wads of cash. Cash money, two wads of cash, $600 each for me and my friend that were moving out here together. Hands it to us and says, God bless you. I felt like I needed to, to support you guys in this way. Here it is. You know, meanwhile, the whole time I had been praying for tangible reminders that this is what God wanted me to do. You think that's pretty tangible? You know the best part of this story, because I think this is how God's generosity works, is that after that, he said, you know, you guys are probably hungry. Go across the street, get breakfast. There's a really cool place over there. Like, all right, so we head over there. We walk in, and um, the the server, host, whatever, he says, oh, you're the guys that, uh, that, I can't remember the guy's name. We'll say Mario. You're the guys that Mario sent over. And we're like, yeah? He's like, oh, he already took care of breakfast for you. The guy just gave us $600 and then took care of breakfast. That's God's generosity. And that's what happens when we understand that we are here to serve. And it's a privilege that we get to do that. We get to. We get to. We get to. I could go on and on with stories. You know, the last thing, um, the last thing, so we talked about take a risk. We talked about, um, what did we just talk about? Hey, it's great. You get to serve. It's good. Third thing, always remember in Christ, brainwashed. Did you know? Did you know? Gotcha. Brainwashed. We got you. You know, when I moved out here, like I said, I moved away from everything. My family, friends, all that stuff. I had, I had nobody. We had Mark and Shannon. You know? And they're... Just kidding. Didn't have anything. And there was a point, you know, probably after about a year of living here. And we had started the church already and that stuff was going. But I was living by myself in an apartment in Florence. There's no apartments around here. And for some broke, you know, 20-something guy, like, I'm not going to buy a house. So I'm living in Florence in an apartment. And that was the loneliest I have ever felt. Loneliest I've ever felt. One of the darkest times of my life. And it wasn't until a family in our church, a very key family in our church, the Chaves, they came to me and said, Chris, always remember in Christ. And they said, why don't you come move in with us? Why don't you come live with us? That's community. Inviting some vagabond, unshaven, smelly 20-year-old guy to come live with you, your husband, and your two children. We don't do that. Who does that? And that turned things around. I felt that sense of community. I felt as though I was on a journey with other people and not alone. I didn't feel that loneliness. You know, we... we here in Arizona, we've got loneliness down to a science because we put up eight-foot concrete walls, right? We have these awesome garage doors that just at a click of a button can go up and down, you know? As quick as we can click that button, we do. I mean, how many of us know more about the lives of the cast of Duck Dynasty than we do our neighbors? I know more about the office characters than I do my neighbors. But always remember in Christ, we're not saying it as strongly. Because I made you feel guilty. 
I feel guilty too. You know, take, take our church, and I think we are leaps and bounds um, ahead of where we have been. You know, I get one of the, the healthiest senses that I've ever had about our church, I do right now. But I still think there's room for improvement. You know, look around you. You can look around you. That's not like a, a figurative type thing. You feel a oneness here? And I'm not talking about like a, a unity, we worship the same God, oneness. I mean, that's cool, but I don't think that's really what I'm getting at. I'm talking about a oneness, you know? Like, do you know these people? Do you know their, their names? Do you know their kids' names? Do you know their pets' names? I think that's a good test. If you know somebody's pets' names, I think you're, you've got a pretty good relationship there. Have you ever laughed with these people? Have you ever cried with these people? Have you ever witnessed something beautiful? with the people around you? Have you ever talked about Jesus with the people around you? Because this is our family. You know, a lot of us have the same story that I have. We moved here from somewhere else. Few and far between are the native Arizonans. So we've got to do something. We've got to make this our family because always remember in Christ, we are. I think we can make that a reality. I think we can make that a reality. You know, the, th- the three things, as I said, that I've learned is to take a risk. It's hard. Man, it's hard. It is hard. But it is so rewarding. So rewarding. Take a risk. That second thing is that it's a privilege to serve. It is a privilege and an honor to serve. I, for so often in my ministry here, I would wake up and think, are you kidding? Like, I get to do this? Really? Really? You know, and I so often tried not to take for granted what I got to do because I know that there's 80% of people that are stuck. So it is a privilege to serve. And the last thing, always remember in Christ, we are one. You know, just in closing, um, this time here has been the longest, hardest most rewarding and beautiful experience of my life. Now, I've been here for seven years and it feels like 50. That may sound really bad, but here's the thing. You know, I was just joking with Mark beforehand because one of his, his go-to scriptures, one of his favorite scriptures is when Jesus says, I came to give life and give it to the fullest. And I was joking. I'm like, did you mean this? Because we just lived like 50 years compact into seven. And I think that is what was intended. Because that is life to the fullest. When we have full, healthy, growing relationships, we meet so many people. We've had the opportunity and the privilege to be involved in so many lives. And so many people coming back to Christ or coming to Christ for the first time, being baptized. We've gotten to take a part in that. And that's why it feels like 50 years. The other reason it feels like 50 years is because people can sometimes And that's okay. That's the nature of the job. But the thing is, if we want to live life to the fullest, and I think that is living life to the fullest, is packing as much as we can into the time that we're given because we have no idea how much time we're given. So take a risk. You know, lastly, um, I just want to dote on Mark. And I told him I'm going to make him cry. I didn't tell him. What you guys need to understand about Mark, um, he is the most dedicated, loyal person of integrity uh, that, that you'll probably ever meet. You know, he's been a mentor to me for such a long time. And I've seen so much hurt in him because of this church and the people here. And I thank God for this last year and the revitalization that has happened here. But you have to know that He is a person. He is a person. He is not some figurehead that stands up here and just throws words at you and tells you to live better. He is a person. And what you have to understand, in my experience, granted I'm 27 years old, But in my experience, this is the hardest work I've ever done. And I've not done a fraction of what that man has done for this church. 
He's never done it for himself. Don't even think for a second that what he does is for some sick sense of pride or whatever. Because he pours it all out. And you've got to take care of him and his family. You've got to. You get to. Because none of you would be here without him. You wouldn't be in this church. You wouldn't be experiencing the community experience. You wouldn't be experiencing Jesus the way that you're experiencing him. You wouldn't be here. I got him. But seriously, you have to take care of this man. You have to. And his family. I love you guys. It's been a privilege and an honor to be here. Uh, I want to I want to end with a song. I know we're probably going over time, but I don't care because it's my last Sunday. Um, so, <laughs> it's good you're standing. So, um, this song that we're going to do is called "I Surrender." And uh, I think, you know, we talk about surrender all the time, and you're probably sick and tired of it. But the point that we talk about surrender all the time is because there's such an issue with control. And so if you want to figure it out, if you want to figure this thing out, you figure out surrender and you've got it. So I want to lead us in this song. Um, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get going here. Father, I'm so thankful to be able to do this. Please remind me, remind all of us of, of how much a privilege it is to be able to, to share in community like this. God, be with every person in here as they're dealing and struggling with whatever it may be. God, stir us up, shake us up, help us to not live a life of comfort. Even in this moment here, maybe we worship a little bit differently. Maybe we engage with the song a little bit differently. Maybe we just do things differently so that we can grow closer to You, learn more about ourselves. Jesus, You are everything. Help us to rest on You and know that no matter what, You are there for us to not be afraid. And even when we sink, You will rescue us. We love You, Jesus. Amen.